to make extremely difficult and soul-searching decisions. We talking about practice. I have an announcement to start this week's show. Okay. I am healthy, and I trust that the listenership will actually believe me because I don't think the listenership is gullible, unlike the Flyers' front office. Well, well, well first of all, why, why, when were you unhealthy? That's a different question. Were, were you incubating us with your diseases the last couple of weeks? You've been no. feeding us. No, like that's, but, but, but again, viruses what the, I'm, I'm, trusting, I'm trusting that the listenership will actually believe that I'm telling the truth because well, apparently the Flyers just lie through what, their teeth. What, what, what John all, right, is- all right, hang on. I have somehow managed to go an entire half a hockey season without writing a hockey column yet. Which and is I've, fine. I have yet to learn. I know that I, I can name Steve Mason. Uh, Good thing you can because yeah. this is the subject. That's what we're talking uh, about. Robespierre. Robespierre. <laughs> ghost, I believe you, you all call him. Not me. I don't call him the ghost. Uh, That's a puckhead thing. Look, I call all him right, ghost. So, what I'm so to- anyway, the point, is, the point is what John is getting at is that we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. The Flyers are playing the Washington Capitals uh, in D.C. tonight. Uh, and they've been basically lying about their go- number one goaltender, Steve Mason, and whether he's hurt or not. They've been denying that he's injured. And finally today, Sam Carcitti, a Flyers beat writer for the Inquirer and the Daily News and Philly.com, finally got Dave Hackstall to cop to the fact that Mason is in fact hurt. He's missing the game tonight. Um, so this is much to do. This is a big deal in hockey. I mean, every in football too. Yeah, every every mean. sport. Hockey is almost worse than football in a lot of ways. I mean, football they have to at least acknowledge some kind of um, you know injury and where um, you know the, the whole questionable probable thing because otherwise people wouldn't bet on the games and we wouldn't have an NFL. Um, but hockey is not like that. Everything's upper body injury, lower body injury, or oh he's fine. So that's what John's getting at is that. Steve Mason will not play tonight. The Flyers are liars. And um, as a Washington, D.C. native, John is really hoping that Alex Ovechkin scores about half a dozen goals tonight. Uh, that's I, <coughs> true, but it doesn't you're, matter you're in right regular season. Yeah, I'm fine. As I said, I I'm not sick, right? <laughs> all right, I football, right? Up, well, well, first of all, because this actually touches on a little pet peeve of mine. Everything Why we do, discuss touches on pet yeah. peeves. You have just a never-ending <laughs> list of pet peeves. My life, my life is... Uh, one long pet peeve. My life is one long pet peeve. I might be the only person in the media who just does not give a do- you know what dookie that people lie to us. Like I just and maybe maybe that makes me a bad reporter, but I just assume everyone's lying to us at all times. And I frankly I understand why, you know, like like Chip Kelly for example, for instance. Andy, Re- you know, maybe Andy Reid didn't outright lie. Maybe you don't have to lie. Maybe I'm just like cynical and jaded. And and I had I, somebody explained it to me one time, saying, "Well, why, why can't you just tell the truth by saying I'm not going to answer that?" Well, it's very hard to maintain that, you know, because and then when you do answer something, I, I don't know. I just I don't care if people lie to me. Well, I I understand where you're coming Unless from. Unless it's you, Mike. Uh, well, I would never do that to you. You Mike. probably have a great '80s song reference that I've never heard of about lying. Um, you can hide. Well, that's a '70s song reference. July that's that's the Eagles. Glenn Fry, by the way, God rest his soul. May he rest in peace. Um, to get back to your point, I'm inclined to agree with you for this for this reason. I do think a lot of, um, and we, we can definitely get, this can definitely you know be a jumping off point to get into the Eagles and all the other things we're going to get into in this edition of the podcast, including the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry in the NBA. But for right now, I'm inclined to agree with you for this reason that. I do think sports coverage too often fall, falls into kind of a uh, routine and a rhythm in which reporters and media members are so reliant on the coach, the players, the general manager to give them their day's story that they either are too lazy or too reluctant or too set in their ways to kind of think outside the box and look at things in a different way, whether it's um, doing some of the stuff that you, Murph, do with, you know, looking at analytics and things like that, whether it's something, you know, and uh, not to pump ourselves up here, but something I try to do in my columns, which is pick up the phone and call somebody who might have a different spin on things or a different angle, something like that. And you, and you see plenty of that. Um, but you also just see a lot of people complain that, well, why is Chip Kelly or Andy Reid or Dave Haxtell lying to me? Um, because my job is to get 
true information and he's making it more difficult to do that. And on one level, I understand it. And another level, I'm kind of like you saying to myself, you know what? If you li- just presume they're going to lie to you. Just, just deal with it and I, find a way around it. I don't know why you don't just pick up the phone and call me all the time because well, see, I, I got I got the... I got the word. I got the take about about <laughs> hockey, even anything, man. You know what? I'm going to start like doing the Oracle. Like, uh, why, I'm, I'm going to start picking if up. If you the had phone, an Oracle's phone number, why would you not use it? I'm going to start picking up the phone and calling you so that you can come over and babysit my kids, so that my wife and I can like get out of the house and you know go have a quiet, peaceful dinner. Long, as long as the Oracle while. doesn't cost ninety nine cents a minute. No, the Oracle in this case would cost probably about ten to fifteen dollars an hour because he'd have to bathe my kids, change their diapers, and put them to bed. What do you say? I believe in the Native American way. <laughs> Which is what? You just throw them out in the snow. and they, look, <laughs> If they live, they live. If you, if you love something. I some, thought maybe you were going to kill buffalo and feed it to my four and a well, half. Well, I heard I heard that Native Americans did not. It was always told to me, and this was probably complete hocus pocus by my American cultures teacher in eighth grade, who was very adamantly anti Bill Clinton. Um by the way, I forget what his name was, but he, he gave us a very long speech about how the world was going to end because we elected Clinton to a second term. Wow. Uh, but anyway, he, he, he told us once, I think at one point, um, that Native Americans did not answer their, the cries of their, their babies or their wampums or whatever they, whatever they call their, their wampums. And it, and it, so, so babies learn not to cry because it would give away their position to enemy. I mean, it sounds like a completely ethnocentric version of uh, Native American child rearing. Well, but, but anyway. That makes, was, that makes for a that really is how, rocky is, segue to the Senior Bowl. <laughs> I, 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 what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, to speak your language, I believe in laissez-faire child rearing, which is like, let the invisible hand kind of... You know, let the market decide who lives and who dies, and, and let's go. I'm not to the point of child-rearing yet, but I did have a slightly better transition than that, which is when we're talking about what players are showing us and whether they're healthy, at the Senior Bowl, it may end up mattering. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. So let's let's get to that, because that is the big discussion topic of the week. Um, everything related to anything and everything related to the Eagles tends to be a big discussion topic around here, and there's been some news uh, the Eagles have announced, announced a couple days ago that they'd given Zach Ertz, their tight end, a five-year contract extension. They then announced on um, Tuesday that they had uh, restructured uh, the contract of their other tight end, veteran Brent Selleck, um, to create some salary cap space and keep a good guy on the roster. Uh, and so, Murph, I kind of want to throw it to you because uh, you wrote about Ertz. Oh, I'll uh, catch it, baby. In uh, your column for Wednesday's Daily News and it's on the website now on philly.com. What do you make of, first, the Ertz extension? Second, the Eagles' justification for it, which um, I know you have some strong opinions about. Howie Roseman basically said he wanted to send a message to everybody in the organization, the players on the team. Um, not sure what that message would be. Um, and then the, the restructuring of Selleck, which seems to me just kind of the thing you do to keep a good guy on the team and free up some cap space, as I said. Well... There's a lot to unpack there. Number one, I think, I, I think I'm starting to develop an opinion on on NFL contracts where there may not be a bad NFL contract. Um, I mean, I just don't know that that, that there's, I, I don't know that the consequences of NFL contracts are really dire enough where how I feel about Zach Ertz personally means that they should not have resigned him. Like, I don't think Zach, I think Zach Ertz is just another guy. I've said that before. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he's got good hands. He's a good guy in the locker room. He's got a strong work ethic. Um, but he lacks like that elite, that elite, you know, go up and get it type thing that you see out of. Frankly, there, there's really only three or four, you know, of those guys. And I mean, you have Gronk on one level and then, you know, you have maybe what? I mean, Jimmy Graham a couple of years ago at least. Who's that guy? Yeah. Antonio Gates a couple of years ago at least. And, you know, I think Travis but those Kel- are I mean, those are all-time guys. Right, I, mean, I know, but I'm saying even like – but that's what I'm saying is in tight ends, it's either like you're that. Then I think there's another level where you've got – I think Travis Kelsey has a little bit of it, who has that big play, hmm. um, you know, strength. In my column today, uh, Wednesday, today, Wednesday, in my column today, I looked at – some third down and red zone numbers, which to me is where your tight end is most valuable, yeah. um, at least in a normal system. And we'll touch on that as well, because th- that's another interesting thing about Ertz is he's transitioning into a system where uh, Travis Kelsey 
played 92% of the Chiefs' snaps last year, and Zach Ertz has never played. Last year was the first year Zach Ertz played more than 49%. He yeah. played, but and he still only played 63%. Yeah. Um, you know, anyway, so that that right. I mean, watch the Patriots play. I mean, Gronk is Gronk is kind of the model, but everyone's kind of a derivative of Gronk in terms of how we should evaluate guys. And Gronk is the only reason you know Tom Brady really has done anything the last three or four years. I mean, he's he's if you watch him in the playoffs. You know, Brady's great, but there's a reason why he can live with Brandon LaFell and Julian Edelman because on third down, you know, he can just throw it. To, he, worst comes to worst, he can just look at Gronk and throw the ball and know that that big, huge man, you know, can can come down with the ball. I mean, Gronk, he's just a monster. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's 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 the value of a tight end, I think. And 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 anybody who doesn't get and I think I think Kelsey gives you a little bit of that, maybe not the size wise. But Kelsey he has, or Ertz? Kelsey. Okay. I think he has the speed-wise, the explosiveness-wise, and that's what I haven't seen from Zach Ertz. I don't see Zach Ertz, you know, I think he has good hands, but I, I don't see him, uh, you know, make huge plays in traffic. Yeah. And that's that's what I want this, out of my This is out. getting to a, a, um, a theme that you've kind of espoused on the podcast for a while. You like, like, when you're evaluating a football team, and, I mean, most people look at it this way, like, you are really about the... Um, make a big play in traffic kind of thing. Like the, you know, um, you're kind of the anti what Andy Reid wanted out of his wide receivers when he first got here, which was, you know, run the route, get open, the quarterback will get you the ball as long as he has time to throw it and we have a good offensive line and all that sort of stuff. Like you, you, you look at Jordan Matthews and don't see spectacular, you see, you know, Reasonably yeah, like good I, wide receiver. I yeah. like Alan, there's a reason why I liked Allen Robinson better than anybody, anybody beyond you know mike evans and those guys right uh, right because he can he has that like he has that go up and get it like he has that i don't know how, you know i don't know how to i don't know how to describe it but all right. i know is Ertz here, here, doesn't have it i i think it's important to have i okay. think i think there's right, guys this, that let me ask you this is this just a skill position thing for you i mean are yeah. there are there skill position are there skill positions in the nfl where you would be willing to compromise that to a certain degree do you need no, you know. it's only a wide receiver. It's only a receiver thing. Okay, you know, I think it's a catching the ball thing. Okay, uh, I mean, like to me, every 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 position has its own. I mean, like Jeremy Macklin doesn't have that to me, but he has his own set of strengths. Right? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like Deshaun Jackson didn't have it, but he had Jeremy Macklin speed. doesn't drop anything. Like, right. That's exactly. his strength, and he's a great know? route runner. Yeah. You know, to me, I guess what I should say is Zach Ertz is not great at anything. He's not a great route runner. Um, that is one thing that I truly believe, and I think that that. Someone needs to work with him on that. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, Greg Lewis. You know, Greg Lewis. How about Greg Lewis back in the fold? Well, see, this is interesting. But, but he's not a great route runner. Yeah. I think he has good hands. You know, I think he has very good hands. Um, but he does not have elite strength, does not have elite separation, does not have elite hops, does not have elite go up and get it. You know, yeah. like you have to be elite at something like like to, to warrant being mentioned among, you know, it, Anything right. other than just a guy. Well, like Deshaun Jackson had elite speed. You yeah. needed an elite tool. Elite speed, the one thing you cannot teach slash learn slash whatever. So of these things that you're talking about, these various hey, traits, how good, much of them can he... you make that up yourself? You can't teach speed? No, that's, uh. not at all. <laughs> how much of them can Ertz improve on himself? Uh, that's the thing. I mean, I just don't... I think he, I think Zach Ertz is like Owen Daniels. I think he's like... You know, I think he's just... He's, he's fine. Well, that's... And but see, that's... And that I guess what me, with the contract I'm talking about is I just don't know that it matters. Like, Charles... Doesn't just, matter, yeah. yeah. Like, there's just not like, football's kind of like baseball where where you know there's just not a lot you can spend your money on in free agency so like it's all about if you draft the guys and then you like pay you know if you if you draft guys that are like worthy of being in the NFL right. you pay them a certain amount of money and yada 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 i mean like like if you look at the Carolina Panthers they're carrying around Charles Johnson's like 20 million dollar cap number this year and yeah. they're in the Super Bowl i mean it's <laughs> like i just don't know that that the stakes are all that right. high especially when you're talking about a number like you know. Right. So let's take it out of the realm of the contract for a second and just go to Ertz the player because I want to pick up on something you just said, which is interesting. I was I was listening to the radio the other day and and Ruben Frank from Comcast Sportsnet, who's covered the Eagles forever, um, brought up the fact that one of the things that interested him about the staff that Doug Peterson has put together, and you mentioned Greg Lewis, who's going to be the wide receivers coach. And if you're an Eagles fan dating back at least ten years, you remember him from the Super Bowl team. You know, caught a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, an undrafted guy who made something of an NFL career out of himself, but nobody would ever confuse him for Ooh. Terrell Owens or One anything quick, like that. One quick Greg Lewis story. I was interning for Spadero at the time. This is I'm still in college, and, and we're sit, standing on the side. I still remember the first time I saw Greg Lewis because me and Spadero 
are standing there on the sidelines watching. This is probably like 2000 and whatever, 2000, 2001. And, uh, and we're watching one-on-ones on the field at far field at Lehigh, the George Hegeman field. I think it was. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, what do you think about Craig Lewis? I'm like, yeah, I was like, I think he's an NFL wide receiver. He's like, I do too. And that was my first, uh, that was my first scouting moment. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But my I mean, point it's, is, I just, but it's like one of those moments where you, I just remember watching. Yeah, you don't have to say it's interesting. It was not. not it really wasn't. Really like, wasn't I'm waiting for a payoff. Here but it's just like one of these one of these moments, slices of life where like I remember where I was that moment that I first saw Greg Lewis, which okay. is absolutely ridiculous sounding. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my point is. But I do. Okay, so Ruben Frank. I'll ha- always have that. You can't you take will. that from me. All right. So Ruben Frank is on the radio the other day, and he points out. Um, in his words, that he's interested in the, in Doug Peterson's staff because of how many lousy football ex NFL players are on the staff, and those are his words. Now, obviously, you come with a disclaimer that anybody who plays in the NFL, you're obviously a tremendous football player compared to the rest of the population. That that goes without saying. But Greg Lewis was his kind of model for this, his his finest example. Okay, and my question to you, Murph, would be using Zach, putting Zach Ertz in the petri dish here. You, we often talk in sports about how a guy who's not a particularly accomplished pro athlete goes on, often goes on to become a terrific coach or manager in his respective sport. You know, Mike Schmidt wasn't a great hitting coach, but Greg Gross survived for a long time, you know, and no one would argue that Greg Gross was a better hitter than Mike Schmidt. So my question would be, can a guy like Greg Lewis, who obviously is coaching the wide receivers, but might be able to work with Zach Ertz on his route running, can a, can a coach coach up Zach Ertz to the point that he can be a better route runner, hence a better tight end, hence more justify the contract, become clo- something closer to a player that would be helpful to the Eagles. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think route running is a lot about coaching. Um, but again, like I think, I think it's just a matter of skill set mostly with Ertz. I just don't think he's, unless he comes, unless he just gets huge or get, he gets a lot stronger, he's obviously not going to get a lot faster. Right. Um, you know, it's just a matter of you get separation through acceleration or a, a combination of acceleration, speed, and and good breaks. And you know, I don't know. Uh, I think he. I think he just kind of is who he is, and and he 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 could marginally improve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, just, I don't see him like like this is going to sound weird. I don't see him like like Gronkowski romps through a defense. Right. Like he, you know, leaves urban instant urban renewal but even his wake Ertz doesn't do that but even even let's talk about Kelsey because Kelsey's the guy I keep hearing him compared to and their numbers their numbers are similar and I've been trying to like formulate an argument for why uh why Zach Ertz is not Jason or not Travis uh, Travis Kelsey and and it's tough to do looking at the numbers and the ones I found were the red zone and the uh right you know the big plays and that's it's just that kind of like that extra you know, I don't know if it's it's because it's, their forty numbers at the combine were similar too. Mm-hmm. But like Jordan Matthews ran a very good forty. Yeah. And he, he ran a faster forty than Allen Robinson. Like it's like tough to explain how to measure what right. w- what Allen Robinson has that Jordan Matthews doesn't have. But like that to me is the difference between Zach Ertz and and Jason Kelsey. But Travis, tra- I'm sorry, Travis Kelsey. There's uh, a big difference. Between yeah, Zach and Jason. Howie Roseman. <laughs> you want to do something that'll actually make people like you. Figure that out. Yeah, right. But that being said, put put it this way: Zach Ertz is is I think Brent Selleck. You know, like that's his career. Like I think that's his career. Like he's going to be a valuable, you mm-hmm. know, third option, good tight end, better yeah. tight end than than Andy had in you know any of his years here. Really, maybe until Brent Selleck got here. Right. Um, but but, but what, that's about it. Like, yeah, and and what's but they need they need somebody. Put it this way: Zach, Zach Ertz needs speed on the outside for him to be. He does. He does. And and here now this also gets to the other really interesting part of this signing, I think, which is and and you and I discussed this on a video that's going to be on philly.com the broad view the the broad view which is that in justifying the signing or explaining the signing one of the things that howie roseman said was that the signing sends a message to the other players on the eagles roster i'm not sure what that message is other than hey if we think you're a good player we're going to sign you but as you pointed out that's one of the last things a player personnel guy ought to be valuing in signing a player, like sending it, the message you send is, I want to go find good players, and if I already have them, keep them. I don't know what other message that is. Like, is there some kind of ulterior motive here to what Roseman is doing? Yo, if you want, if you want to send a message, buy a stamp. That's what I say. Here's here's what I think the message is. I am in charge. Right. I, that, that's. But that, again, I I would agree with that. 
but that's the wrong oh, thing sure. to and, do. And that there were some know? some things that Chip Kelly may have valued that Howie Roseman did not, that Roseman, now being in charge, whoever's going to make the roster or not is going to be done on his judgment and not on somebody else's. I, I and that's, you know, I think... I mean, maybe, 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 I assume like Roseman, by that logic, Roseman felt like Ertz should have been on the field even more than he was. He wasn't on the field all that much, as Murph pointed out. So, well, he did apparently say down at the Senior Bowl, I read this from uh, Marcus Hayes right before I came in here. He apparently said at the Senior Bowl that he was watching tapes of all these guys while Chip was running the personnel department or so in theory. Well, yeah, and we've already talked about what. I mean, everything how he says is going to be an example of why he should not, should not have been in the building, but he was, and like that's yeah, of course he of course he was. That's 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 why when people lose power struggles, they get kicked out. They didn't kick Pally out. Howie undermined Chip, and now Howie's here. So my thing with Howie is, given his track record, it's I almost see something more not nefarious, but like just so Howie. <laughs> I mean, look. The new Disney Channel series, that's so Howie. <laughs> Look, Howie, Howie clearly understands Jeffrey Lurie's limitations as a person required to, like, make decisions in the real world because Jeffrey Lurie's never really been in the real world. And, like, Jeffrey Lurie has settled on this, you know, I, I, I always think of the, the um, What's his name for Meet the Parents? Not De Niro. Who are the other? Who are the other parents? Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand, Dustin Hoffman. I always think of them when I I think of Jeffrey Lurie, and he's it's just like the, he he's he settled on this abstract kind of self help, you know, <laughs> like public act, public you know PBS you know DVD that you get with your handbag when you make a donation type of philosophy <laughs> of like oh. Chip was so mean. We need to rescue our organization because Chip was such a big meanie and we need to take our building back. And one of the ways we do this is to sign Zach Hertz, the model eagle. This, this sends a message. And I don't think Howie actually believes this crap. I think oh, that he just knows. I think, I think that might. he just knows that his owner has bought into this and he can milk it. And, and, and not necessarily establish his authority, but say... Yeah, you're right. Oh, man, Jeff, just like I was whispering in your ear that, you know, in, in the owner's box, Chip is mean and we do need to send a message and we're going to we're going to sign Zach Gertz, you, you know, and I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just it's, go win some be, football games, folks. Yeah, it, but that I mean, that's it. I mean, it's just like, it's, come on, give me a break. Like, yeah. like, Chip, like Chip Kelly, he was just another guy. Guess what? Everyone hates their coach. At some point, everyone hates their coach. If you go back and look at every coach that was fired, Jim Harbaugh, people hated him. You know, Rex Ryan at the end, people were saying they may not have hated him, but they were saying he was too lax at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Tom Coughlin, they were every year there was a story about, you know, his players about to, you know, make him walk the plank. And then they won the Super Bowl right. again and again and again. Well, but I'm just saying it's, it's like, like, think about your boss. Like no, like no offense to all our bosses if you're listening, but like Which honestly, like most, like <laughs> honestly, like most bosses, you're so far removed from them because you're like they're not your direct supervisor. Like you, you're just like all right, take them or leave them, whatever. Like I can see their good parts and I can see their bad parts, and like locker rooms are very self-sufficient spaces, and I think it's just it's just disingenuous and and unfair to like act that that Chip Kelly was running some sort of you know. Stalin-esque, you know, compound well, what, there what, at the Novacare complex. What when, when guy went every Stalin-esque compound, first of all. But I'm saying, like, like, like that. What I think that more so, my suspicion, and it's cynical, yeah. But my suspicion is that Lurie really does believe this. Like, oh, you know, we just need more love in the Novacare complex no, like I, it used to be, and like how right. he's milking that by saying. Yeah, yeah, this sends a message to the organization. What's the message? And so what, Roseman's like, going to sit down there in Mobile where they've got a half-decent draft pick in the first round and use it to, instead of potentially drafting a good football player, to send a message. Well, That's maybe. A waste of a, you know. I, I do think, I think what we're getting at is the motivation behind the decisions they are making now is in question. Like, why, why are they doing yeah. this? Why are you signing Zach Ertz? Is it because you think... He's going to be an upper echelon tight end for the next five years, or is it to reaffirm that Howie Roseman knows what he's doing? It, you know, when they draft or make whatever move they make in the draft, take a player at thirteen, move up. Is it to improve the team, or is it to 
wipe away what Chip had done over the previous three years. You know, it's never going to be an all or nothing thing with any of those moves, but that's the that's the environment you've created now. Look, what it comes what it comes down to is this. It Bring comes, it. it. It comes down to drafting players. That's all it comes down to. Like I, I mean, they's at like Ertz was. He might not have been worth the second round pick. I would argue he he has not been worth a second round pick yet. But you know they drafted him and he's a capable NFL player. And then and now you resign them and and that's just how it happens. And, right. And the only way to really improve your team, put it this way: letting Zach Ertz walk via free agency and using that money, you know, to to you know spend on. Uh, who was the guy? EJ Biggers is like not the way that you're going to end up. You, you know, no. signing Zach Ertz at the expense of EJ Biggers is not going to win you or lose you a Super Bowl. But it's drafting just the next out. Marcus Smith. See, that, whatever. But, on, but metaphorically, I give it right. Isn't you know, this? Here's driving, the thing, though. Isn't this all really just kind of chaos theory? I mean, sure. The 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 predominant franchise in, in the NFL for the last 15 years plus became that franchise because they happened to draft a quarterback that nobody else wanted in the sixth round of the 2000 draft. The the Indianapolis Colts picked the right year to finish with the worst overall record and got Peyton Manning, and then picked the right year to finish with the worst overall record 14 years later and got Andrew Luck. You know, they, they couldn't have anticipated Peyton Manning would need seven neck surgeries and they'd be in a position to get Andrew Luck, the, the, the next great NFL quarterback. You know... The, the Packers happen to be... Right, but ha- they, yeah. You know, I mean, I understand that there are good ways to do things and bad ways to do things. I, I, I understand that, and I'm not suggesting that, you know, any team can just luck into a Super Bowl or luck into a dynasty or luck into excellence, but the, the, the outsized impact of good fortune just seems... You know, seems the main driver of, of this yeah, in but, virtually every sport. Yeah, but I, I mean... It, it still comes down to draft. Look, I mean, Peyton Manning is not Peyton Manning this year. Like they're they're in the Super Bowl because they drafted well and developed well. You know, they mm-hmm. have a, they have a good defense. They have a great defensive coordinator. Um, you know, again, like Russell Wilson, very good very good quarterback so far in in the situation that he's been in. But again, you know, we I don't know that we look at his tool set and say he would be this good anywhere else. They happen to he, they happen to be in a position to plop, plop, hit, plop, 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 yes. plop him into a situation where they had already built one of the greatest defenses of all time. They already had a very, very good offensive line and a power running game. And they could, they could then put, I mean, put it this way. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure that, you know, putting Russell Wilson to that, adding Russell Wilson onto that Seahawks team where they were close to competing with Tavares Jackson as their quarterback would have been any different from like putting Sam Bradford onto that team. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like if the chiefs had not drafted well, you know, Alex Smith, you know, Alex Smith is not the same player if he's playing in Cleveland as he is in Kansas city. All I'm saying is that what it comes down to, we we can talk all we want, but what it comes down to is Ken Howie Roseman overseeing personnel department that consistently drafts well at all, you know, Mm -hmm. one round one through seven, um, and undrafted guys, and and that's that's just what it comes down to. It's not going to come down to whether, you know, he he you know overpaid for Zach Ertz. The Eagles have, as you said a moment ago, fostered this environment where we're all questioning their motivations for every single thing they do, no matter how big and how small. Right? Yeah, we're going to do that anyway. We are, but but it's 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 their fault that they're being perceived this way. It is. It's it totally is. their fault. It's but totally I, their fault. But again, I don't. I don't think that the perception matters. I think my, the only perception that matters to me is I perceive that Howie Roseman is not very good at his job. Right. So you we, know? But we like, go in on draft night. I don't care about his motivation. You know, like I. I think that like, I think everyone's motivation in the end. This is going to get deep. But I think everyone's motivation. You, Mike Sealski, me, Jonathan Tannenwald, everybody. Our our, our motivation is self preservation, and. The way to preserve yourself is to play the game like how he does at times, or it's to draft really well. And the only one I care about is if he drafts well or not. Like he can be, he can be the most miserable sob in the world. If he drafts well, like okay, that the Eagles are going to be fine. It's not going to matter what's going on behind the scenes. Like just like it did, what what happened behind the scenes didn't necessarily matter last year. It was the fact that they didn't have any talent, you know, to make it matter. Do you so know what I'm saying? Like, going, yeah, they, yeah, but, go ahead, Mike. but. 
you're discounting the possibility that the two are linked. That what's happening behind the scenes, what's happening behind the scenes affects the ability of Howie Roseman, Chip Kelly, whoever, to make the draft oh, picks I think that Howie, success. I think Howie affected Chip's, Chip. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But I but at the same time I think that if Howie would have drafted well, it wouldn't matter. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I think if they would have drafted Earl if he would have drafted Earl Thomas instead of Brandon Graham and, you know, Kelvin Benjamin instead of Marcus Smith, then then it you know Right. Would, I understand. I don't that. think it would have I, I think they would have been a playoff team last year. Right. And, and we wouldn't have been talking about I, all this. I understand that. My point is that the internal politics of you know, the dynamics that, that you're saying you don't care about as long as they draft well might be the cause of why they don't draft well. It's funny, right? But I think it all or comes, contribute to it at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I agree. But that that's part of his job. I guess what I'm saying is we're we started like veering off into this territory. Where we were like talking about Howie Roseman's motivations. Like I think his, Howie Roseman's motivation is to keep a job, and and I right. think he realizes that to keep a job, he needs to draft well. I don't think I don't necessarily think that he's shown himself to be good at that. And part of that is the fact that he doesn't like people. He can't. He can't keep quality quality people under him. Mm-hmm. You know, for very long. So he can't get good people. Okay. Can't keep good football people under him. Right. You know. So but that the, is all part of it. Okay. Right. My only point was that I think that the the whole like the whole Chip Kelly like uh, Treehouse of Terror Novacare complex to me has just been overblown because I think it comes down to you know like I going through the Phillies I always heard this like it, when, when when things started to go downhill. And I was like the Old Testament prophet standing on the street corner telling people the end was near. And everyone was saying, oh, they just need more energy. They've gotten lackadaisical. They need, you know, maybe they need a breath of fresh air. They need to move Jimmy Rollins. They need to trade Rollins. And they need need to spend more money even though they were spending plenty It's like, guess what, man? They need to get better. Like, they need to get younger, better, more talented players. And that's always what it comes down to. And I think that the things, the thing that we saw at the Novacare Complex this year was was a symptom it was an ugly symptom. Uh, I should even say last year. Like this year, they completely threw away this year because they because of the way they handled the the power you know mm-hmm. transfer. But I guess what I'm saying, the stuff that was said about Chip Kelly, um, you know, no one ever that, that narrative kind of just like warped into this like Chip big bad Chip Kelly yeah. mean guy. Like whereas like all the players were like, I think he cared about him. He was just kind of a weirdo, you know. Like Malcolm Jenkins, like was like Malcolm Jenkins. I I would trust that. Uh, more than anybody to judge a guy's character and all the guys who's ever ever played for chip kelly have said he's fine like what it came down to is they lost and chip kelly made some bad decisions and his players lost confidence in him so, just like i've lost confidence in howie rosen so the the draft comes along mm-hmm. in a year when there are not that many recognizable big names that are going to be in this thing i think it's safe to say especially at quarterback which is the position that everybody always talks about mm-hmm so, knowing what we're going to be talking about next, the Eagles make a draft that – draft a player – Yeah, I'll leave that in because that was my mistake. The Eagles draft a player that is the metaphorical equivalent of Steph Curry. Okay. Who's that? Some guy. We'll talk about him later. And the default presumption on the part of the outside world and me on my couch – is okay. How did Howie Roseman screw this up this time? Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure where you're going. What do you What do you mean? Because because he's not he because a because he's not a big name player who everybody knows will be a stud in the at the pro level coming out of college, and because and I think Mark the whole Marcus Smith debacle plays into this to some degree. The a guy that you take where the public perception is going to be. But that's what I'm saying is the I don't, public perception doesn't matter either. Like, I know, either, it, but there's a track record of Roseman getting some of these things wrong. Right, but what does it matter? Either he's going to get it right or he's going to get it wrong. Right. So if you if you draft a guy who comes from out of the big-time spotlight, as Curry, I mean, Curry was famous, but he didn't go to a big school or anything like that. But the Warriors developed him into – the Warriors could see the talent that he had and got him into a position where he was going to end up thriving mm-hmm. as he has. I can't fathom Roseman's Eagles doing something like that. But what? But uh, I guess I'm just still not clear on what what the question is. I mean, we're like, yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to is is seeing the thing that nobody else sees. Right. Yeah. But that's but either Which he's he thinks be, he does, and I don't think he's actually capable of. It. Right. That's but that's, yeah. that's, that's like we've already yeah like that we, like I don't think he's good at his job. Yeah. I, that's all it comes down to. Yeah. Like perception I mean, look, doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It matters 
if if the, he runs a personnel department that is going to be able to get this Eagles, they, they need they need three or four quality players out of this, these next two drafts for them to have yeah. any shot at contending while Sam Bradford is still upright if he's their quarterback. Yeah, and look, the you know the 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 question I think what one of the interesting questions to me in this draft is I think they ought to take a quarterback. They need to build depth at that position. At least as much depth as an NFL team can have. Um, and it becomes interesting to see when they do that, how they move on it. Um, you know, Murphy wrote for Wednesday. About, I would take a quarterback every year. Yeah, I would too. I mean, so I found a guy I could develop. Well, it, it's it's funny you mentioned that. A couple years ago at the Super Bowl, I talked to Gil Brandt, who for three decades was the Cowboys uh, director of player personnel. He's now an analyst for the NFL Network and is about 95 years old, but is still very sharp. And he said that very thing. Go back and look at the Cowboys draft record, even during the years when they had Roger Staubach, when, you know, you could argue they have one of the, you know, one of the one or two, three best players at his position over an entire decade. They took quarterbacks virtually every other year because the position has such value that you can develop them, move them, and you might find a guy who then becomes Danny White, who, you know, becomes your next starting quarterback and leads you to a few. I thought you meant your next special teams coach. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Leads you to a few NFC championship games. So, um, you know, the interesting question to me is to watch Carson Wentz um, because he seems to be the highest, the most highly regarded quarterback in this year's draft, at least right now. Um, And Murph, as I was saying, you wrote about him for for Wednesday. Um, I, I have seen him play one game. In my life, and he was, so. uh, it was the the bowl game, the, the championship game they were in at the okay. what is what was the one double A level? I don't even know if it's was called. It nor- uh, I'm not sure what it was. Anyway, leave it. Just yeah. leave it at one double A. Yeah, um, it's now, actually one FCS. Now I liked what I saw. They get very cranky when you still recur- yeah. refer to it as one double A. I-, I liked what I saw from him. Um, you went ahead and broke down three games of his against the top three opponents he faced this season. Let's say you are the Eagles at pick 13. I'll give you a multiple choice question. Do you A. C. Do you A. Do what you can to move up to get him. B. Take him if he's available at number 13. Or C. Say to yourself, we're not going to worry about that in the first round. There's somebody else we'd rather have. There's somebody else that's more important. We'll get a quarterback in round two, three, four, whatever the case may be. Well, I mean, it depends. I, I And again, like I think Wentz, put, put it this way, not that I have a board or that it would even really, anybody cares if I did. It's like a, my board is my cock, is a cocktail napkin, whatever I get. There's like always a Saturday afternoon that I find myself at a bar before the draft, you know, in the weeks leading up to the draft. And I'll sit there with my buddy Jared or, or Bill and, and list my... Dave Murphy's uh, big board on a uh, cocktail napkin. Uh, so it has not been done yet. And um, I can't really say that I have a board. But but right now, if I did have one, uh, Jared Goff would be number one in, in terms of quarterback, the kid from Cal. And Wentz is just – Wentz to me is more intriguing than me being in love with him. Like his, okay. his tool set is amazing. Like his, it's, re, it's, it's remarkable. Like go watch, go watch him play. Like, like just go watch a cut tape of his for three games. Like he's – Got a, he's got a remarkable combination of strength and accuracy and a, a quick enough release, uh, good enough footwork that you can see it becoming very good. And frankly, he looks a lot like Cam Newton mobility wise. Like he's he's got he's a big guy who can still run a little bit. I mean, he does not have he's I don't think he's going to be that kind of runner at the NFL level. Like that's that that's that's what Cam Newton brings that that really puts pushes him over the top. I don't I don't know that Wentz will have that, but he's got a lot. Problem is he doesn't really see the field and he's only ever had to make one read and um so yeah, so I don't know. is what I guess is what I'm saying. If he's there at 13, I would take him just mm-hmm. because of the upside. I don't right. I just don't think he's going to be at I, I actually think that Chip Kelly is it's kind of a chip kind of guy Chip Kelly would fall in love with and and take him. Uh, if golf was there, I would absolutely, if I would absolutely, uh, I would, I would absolutely grab him. but I don't think it's good. I just don't think it's going to happen. And, and I think that the Browns and somebody else are going to take those guys one, two, and then you're going to be left to, uh, the, I mean, philosophically, if there's a quarterback, I think has a chance of being an elite guy. I take him even if I just signed Sam, Br- Sam Bradford to a four or five year. Yeah. Contract. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you have to, and again, that gets back to the value of the position and, and all those sorts but let's, of things. Let's talk about Steph Curry. Okay. Um, 
because he's coming to Philadelphia <laughs> Saturday night. The uh, the Warriors play the Sixers. Mark Knopfler. See? 1980s. Right? Was Mark Knopfler was sailing to Philadelphia, I think. Oh, all yeah. right. So, um, that was close, though, right? Close. Um, so, yeah. So the Warriors the other night, um, in what was probably the most highly anticipated game so far the regular season in the NBA, beat the San Antonio Spurs by 30 points. Um, and the Spurs and the Warriors are far and away the two best teams in the league at this point. So I kind of wanted to explore, with Curry coming into town, For I find him fasc- completely fascinating for basketball reasons alone. You know, the idea that that guy, that a, a player can shoot that well and handle the ball that well and control an entire offense the way he does it. He is, he is an amazing player to me. I, I didn't grow up watching, I'm old, but I'm not old enough to know uh, to have watched Pete Maravich play uh, in college or in the NBA, but I would imagine that this is what Maravich would have looked like with discipline and, you know, uh, not being coached by his father in college, you know, to take every shot anytime he wanted. Um, but but I'm intrigued by the kind of collective love that people who follow the NBA and even people who don't follow the NBA closely have for Steph Curry. I don't know if it's just the nature of the way he plays. I don't know if it's this kind of cuddly persona that he seems to have. Um, but there's clearly a love for, you know, maybe it's the underdog thing. He's a little guy. He looks like he's about 12 years old. Um, but there's clearly this love for him amongst the public writ large that a guy like LeBron James does not have. Um, and I think that's an interesting question to explore because, you know, there's going to be a huge crowd at this game Saturday against the Sixers, and and two-thirds of them are not going to be there to see the Sixers. They're going to be there to see this team and this particular player. Um, Murphy, off the air, you were talking about why you enjoy Curry. If you could kind of, you know, what, what what's your, why? What, what is it about him? Like, Well, I mean, I, I just like the way, I like the way that whole team plays. Um, you know, I like the way both them and the Spurs play. Frankly, they move the ball around. I don't like an isolation game. You know, I like mo- I like I like ball movement. I like shooting. Uh, you know, I sound like an old man when I talk about why I like chest passes. <laughs> exactly. And back cuts. I like the eye formation and I like ball movement. I like the extra. I like the extra pass. But I like Steph Curry because um, I mean, that's essentially why I like I, he's just very fun to watch, um, you know, and and and. The underdog aspect of it has a little bit to, like like LeBron James to me is not that fun to watch personally because he's so dominant. Right. You know, like he's just it's like uh, of course he's scoring. You know, you can just throw his body into people. Like it was not fun for me watching him last year just throw his body into Andre and Iguodala and then be able to throw. <laughs> like that's a, it's amazing. Yeah, like it's dominant. I'm not taking anything away from the guy. It's just I don't enjoy watching it because. Right. You know, same thing with Shaq. Like I, I was always, I would always much rather watch Kobe than Shaq because Shaq at his peak was just, you had to hang onto his arm to stop right. him. You know, whereas Steph Curry's got to work to get open, he's got to work to get a shot off, and he's got to, you know, it's a lot harder to shoot the ball from thirty feet than mm-hmm. it is to shoot from three feet. So that, I mean, that's why I enjoy watching him play. It's also part of, you know, I enjoy the way the Golden State Warriors play. But the reason why I think, I think there's a few things that. It, you know the love i think a lot a lot comes from you know his, his uh you know his 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 social media presence and his daughter mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he, he's a very like likable guy you yeah. know he's never done anything bad you know he's right. he's very like you said you know comes from a model family you know went to a small school wasn't was not i think i think the biggest thing is he was not overhyped i yeah. think i think a lot of what like tebow lebron what it comes down to anymore with the way so with the way our media climate is is that it's not so much the player that people hate but it's the hype surrounding yep. that player and the hype you know it's almost like curry earned that hype you know like mm-hmm. it wasn't until he really kind of came from out of nowhere i mean there was you know his first two years right. in the league like they were talking about you know should they trade him you know? right yeah and i mean there was there were questions even when he entered the league about how long he would last because his ankles were so and he beat lebron fragile. you know like he again like he'll yeah. as long as lebron is there like he's never going to be the favorite you know mm-hmm. like the Cavs. I, I think the Cavs will like the Cavs were in a lot of people's minds the Cavs were the favorites last year yeah yeah you're right i think so because of lebron um and i and i do think that uh i think you you're really perceptive about um well, thank you thank why you, <laughs> about why we collectively and of course that doesn't mean everybody but why we like and cer- and dislike certain players now or why we get tired of certain guys you know, we've been hearing about LeBron since he was 16, 17 years old when he was at 
you know, playing high school ball in Akron. Um, you know, Curry is the opposite of that. Curry is, you know, a guy who you discover over two weeks in March while he's a sophomore or junior at Davidson um, and go, holy cow, look at this guy. What a cool little story this is. And then he gets picked seventh in the draft in a year when the team picking before the Warriors, Curry gets taken seventh by the Warriors. The Minnesota Timberwolves have the, the two picks before the Warriors, <laughs> the fifth pick and the sixth pick. They take point guards with both selections, and neither of them is Steph Curry. Well, yeah, and, and point guards with at least one of whom had a, just as many questions about him as, as right Ricky Rubio. Yeah, as, yeah, as, as Steph Curry. Who was the other point guard they took? Johnny Flynn from Syracuse. Jeez, Johnny Flynn. Is, once, I, I do not believe Johnny Flynn is playing basketball professionally for a living anymore. For once in my life, this show discusses something that I can actually talk about with some intelligence, <laughs> instead of just sitting on my couch and watch football. We'll, I've been waiting for this. We'll be the okay. judge of that, there, big guy. Yeah. Steph Curry went to a school whose most prominent conference that they've ever played in came well after he departed, and because of him, Davidson got to the A-10. Syracuse at the time was playing in the Big East, and therefore, if you are Johnny Flynn and playing in the Big East, you are going to have a better reputation. And if you are playing in the Southern Conference, it will be held against you that you cannot do that in the NBA the way you did in college. And I've seen, and we've all seen it in the A10. In I've seen it in the Ivy League plenty. Got Jeremy Lin. Mm-hmm. I watched at Harvard. Had no idea he was going to be any good in the NBA. Nobody who watched him do what he did in the Ivy League thought that he would do as well mm-hmm. in the NBA as he did. Steph Curry got drafted by a team that said, "We know how to construct a system for his skill set and make him thrive." Mm. And they've done it with spectacular success. And one of the other reasons why so many people enjoy watching the Warriors, as simplistic as this is in our age of analytics, is they score a ton of points. Yeah, that's true. They're fun. And the NBA, for quite some time, was a struggle to watch, especially the teams in this part of the country that are on our TVs every night. Yeah, I, I think that's there, there's a lot to I mean, do that's with part it. Of, that's, that was another the – geo, the, the geography of it is actually a huge aspect as well because he, he, Steph Curry is not – Steph Curry is not a rival of any of the major media markets on right. the you know west of California or east of California. I mean, if Steph Curry played for the Knicks, people might hate him. You know, if uh, he played for the Lakers, it, uh, I don't, boy, I, mean, I, don't know. I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I played, think, and they might not hate him if he played. But I guess what I'm saying is like, I bet you if you talk to Spurs fans. They don't love Steph Curry, or you know, I, I don't even know who's uh, Clippers fans say. Let's I, say like, I, I, I'm yeah. not sure the Clippers fans love Steph Curry. I would, you know, what I bet it is. I bet it's more of not being a Clippers fan or a Spurs fan. It's almost um, helplessness, exasperation. Like he's killing us, and I hate that my team is losing. But oh my god, look at that shot he just made. I mean, there's a, there's a there, there's a there, there was a move the other night again he made against the Spurs where he came off like a double pick with Kawhi Leonard, who is the best perimeter defender in the NBA by a lot right. on him. And he pulls up, you know, from a position where he shouldn't be even able to get a shot off. And he pulls up from 25 feet and flushes it. And Leonard is just like, what in the name of God am I supposed to do about this? Um, well, it's funny, I'm going to the game Saturday, I want to write about it. And, and there was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks back about how Curry's pregame routine, his shooting routines, have become like the second biggest attraction in the NBA to actually watching the Warriors play. Like thousands of people get to an NBA arena before it begins when the the Warriors are playing a road game just to watch him shoot three-pointers or shoot 28, 29-footers from near half court. Yeah, I I mean, part of it is just us thinking way too deep into it, too. I mean, that guy's just really good. Like, this is how transcendental players... This is how people react to most transcendental players. LeBron just happens to be a, a... kind of a freak situation with a num- from a number of different perspectives, the hype being number one, uh, but also just his size and sheer physical right. dominance and the whole heat thing and, and just some of the things he's done immaturity-wise early on. Um, but again, the hype more than anything. With, with Curry, like he's just... He, I mean, Jordan, the only reason anybody hated Jordan was because there were Lakers fans and Knicks fans. Like, I don't, I don't know that anybody outside of those two groups of people, like I, I loved Michael Jordan. He's the only reason I watched the NBA growing up. Like he was, he watching him was a transcendental experience. Very, very few players mm-hmm. have a skill set. Um, I mean, Steph, honestly, I think Steph Curry, I'm not talking about dominance. I'm just talking about in terms of that transcendental quality. He is the first one since Jordan. Iverson was close 
But the thing Iverson didn't have was a the pure game. Right. Like he had that very street ball game, and he had and 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 he did not have a great. You know, he was he was selfish. You yeah. Know? I mean, he was he, he wasn't a great shooter. You know. What, what's interesting about Curry to me, and I did, and his teams win. What's interesting about Curry to me is something that I think transcends a particular sport, which is that. When you watch him play, and this gets to the heart, I think, of why this is kind of a roundabout way to get there, but why there was so much outrage in the mid-2000s over the steroid issue in baseball, which is, and this is an argument that's been made before with respect to baseball, but I think it applies to Curry, too, which is when you watch Steph Curry play basketball, you see a six-foot-two or three kid who looks like he can, you know, he's small enough and looks like somebody you might pass on the street. And that was what outraged people about uh, the baseball players using steroids, was that baseball was always a sport where you looked at the guy in the batter's box or on the pitcher's mound and said, that's me. I could see that guy on the street. Exactly. He's not an NFL offensive lineman. He's not Shaquille O'Neal or um, LeBron, LeBron, these these athletic, uh, unbelievably athletic and outsized guys. They kind of look like everybody else, and I can see their greatness in the way they turn on a fastball or the heady way they play or the fact that Steph Curry can make, you know, 35-foot jump shots look like he's shooting layups. And that gets to, I think, the interest in it is like people look at Curry and see a human being who does incredible things on the basketball court rather than a kind of freak of nature who can just dominate through sheer and as size a, to, and athleticism. To your point, not just by dunking the ball all over the place. I enjoy watching LeBron play because I know he can single-handedly dominate a game. Transcendental guys, depending on where you put Kobe in the chronology relative to Iverson and so forth, Derrick Rose, had he not gotten hurt as many times mm-hmm. as he has, and Kevin Durant. Now, Durant's 6'8". You know, he's a big guy. But he's got some of that, too. You mentioned Kawhi Leonard earlier. Well, actually, I, stop, because yeah. that's, that's a good... I mean, because to me, there is a difference. Well, I'm not sure what it is. But, like, to me, for whatever reason, Kevin Durant has not reached that level of, like... There's not Durant mania. The rest of his team know? isn't good. Well, like, there was. And there is. No, there the was. Not to this extent. No. Not to this extent. But wait till he becomes a free agent. Well, they'll be. They'll be. They'll well, be. Well, it's, it's, uh, but again, this is like, I think you're, you're coming in. Uh, you're coming in on something here. But I, I think it's the opposite of what you're trying to say. It, like, I've never put it this way. I've never. I would never have a podcast in which I devoted any amount of time to. Kevin Durant. Why people like Kevin Durant. Yeah. You know? Uh, I would never... I say disagree with, Dirk, with that, but that's my own opinion. <laughs> I mean, if you're you a Washington, wa- D.C. I mean, guy, right, he's but a Washington, but have you watched, people but have wanted you wa- to come here. But have you, I'm not saying are they good players. Like, I'm not saying... This is yeah. not an argument over who is better, who is, like, more dominant. This is, like, if you watch... If you Steph Curry's daughter was like the number one trending yeah. topic oh, sure. in America last like, year, like you can like make every an argument. Day you look at Sports Center and it's like, what did Steph Curry do? You today? can make an argument and that Steph Curry is the most loved, yeah, is the most loved athlete in the country right I now. I think he is, but the, the, part of the reason why this is my point about comparing him and Durant, part of the reason why he is so successful is because of the system that he plays in and the other guys around him, Clay Thompson and so but forth. But it's not about we're not talking about success. We're talking about why do people love him? But he became. He won a championship, not just because of himself. Is my point. He's averaging thirty points it, a game. He's hitting shots from 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 half, from three quarter court. If, if Durant had enough other teammates who were as good as no, the guys, I, you're you don't missing think so. no, you're missing the point. The point is not that Kevin Durant might be a better player or that he's not surrounded. The point is that Michael Jordan captured people's imaginations before exactly. he ever won a championship. And the reason was he looked like physically a lot of other guys on the court. And LeBron still hasn't captured people's imagination, even though his teams had were as dominant as Curry's teams. And the reason, That's my point. The reason, and, and the Thunder were as dominant as they were one year. And the reason Jordan captured people's imagination was because there were a lot of guys who were 6'6 in the NBA. Nobody could fly the way he could. Exactly. You know, no, nobody then went on and became not just the best airborne player the game had seen, but then totally transformed his game to become the best mid-range shooter in the NBA and continued winning championships that way. Curry captures people's imagination in a way that Durant does not, that Tim Duncan does not, what? because of the way he plays. Duncan has no the image, personality. Well, no, the, the, way he, the way he plays, the image he presents, the, there's like this... He's bubbly on the court, like in the way he plays, not in the way he interacts with people. Like, 
you know, behind the back pass, like it's no big yeah. deal. Right. Three pointer, like, like it's no big. That's deal. That's the thing is, is so if you if you talk if if you think of Michael Jordan, you think of something. You think of you either think of Air Jordan early on with the tongue hanging out, or you think of Jordan later, like draining turnaround jump shots. Right. Um, you know, and just the competitor. You know, just like, being like the coldest just, yeah, and, blooded right, no, 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 guy. With Steph Curry, you think about drain like just like draining thirty foot jump shots like they're nothing. I mean, the guy is like this is not a project. Steph Curry is not a projection of the media. He's shooting fifty percent. Sure. I mean, he's 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 averaging thirty points per game. Uh, he's doing stuff that people have offensively. He's doing things that nobody has done since Kobe and and on the perimeter. Since you know Kobe, Kobe a couple of years maybe, and Michael, but in terms of field goal percentage, some stuff that nobody's ever done. It's incredible. And, he's he's shooting, and he's and he's like, you know, but he's like running, you know, like again, just the way he, like you said, the way he plays, he's bubbly. He seems like he really enjoys it. So that like when you think of Curry, you think of him hitting a thirty foot shot. What do you think of when you think of Kevin Durant? I just think of him making spectacular plays in the lane and and trying. I think of him being a spectacular player. Who would be even more spectacular? Like if you were to make guys around right, him if to you were, get him the ball. If you were if you were to make a poster of Air Jordan, you see him flying through the air, or do you, or you see him hanging and do a, a jump shot with like against a, against the Jazz with five seconds left. If you were to do a poster of Steph Curry, you're either seeing him like smiling and throwing the ball behind his back, or shooting a thirty foot shot. What best. do you think? What is what is Jordan's poster? What is, I mean, flying, what is I mean Durant? What is all right? What is Durant's poster? Jumping on top of a guy and dunking a ball with Russell Westbrook in the background. See, I mean, and, but Durant's a forward, not a guard, which is part well, of the other part. But of that's what we're talking about. But that's but that's the point: is that Durant is first of all, Durant is six nine, six ten. But even like, what's 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 LeBron's poster? Yeah, it's LeBron's poster. Quite honestly, is, is him, him with his hands up in the air. It's him with his hands up in the air with the powder, or it's him. Yeah. you know, making some kind of basketball move. Quite honestly, I think in which his arms are bent so that you yes. see yeah. the musculature yeah. of his back and his arms and all those sorts of things. You know, but. Yeah, and a kid's sitting there looking at his wall, like, well, a kid's looking that's at never going to be me, he, right? The kid is looking, <laughs> yes, right? The, that's the kid, true. The kid is looking at LeBron, saying, "My God, but I'll never be like that." Right. The kid looks at Steph Curry and says, "I can work on my dribbling. That's part of why he's I so, can work on my right. shooting. I'll, I may not be as good as that guy, but I can work on the things that he is well, great." It's, it's at. why I became a Duke. It, I mean, hate me all you want, but it's I why I, it's why I became a Duke Blue Devils fan because, like. Those guys looked like me, you know, like it was like, all right, like I can play basketball like that, you know, and unless until Corey Maggette got there. <laughs> uh, but like even like Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley, like those were the guys I was like, all right, man, you know, like I could fit in this. Like, again, as a kid, whereas like UNLV. Right. It's like, dude, I'm never going to be Larry, Larry Johnson, Johnson right. you know, like I, I can't do that. Like, why would I? Why would I? I did not admire that style of game because I was never going to be able to play it because right. I knew I wasn't going to be. And it doesn't you know. it doesn't diminish Larry Johnson as a basketball nah. player in the same way it doesn't diminish LeBron James as a doesn't basketball player. Doesn't even say, player. yeah, and right. it doesn't mean that LeBron James is better than Steph Curry. It just means like it has that universe. I think I feel like Steph Curry has a more everyman universal appeal right. than a LeBron or like a more universal. And But again, a lot of it comes down to the whole I think hype plays a big role in it. Yeah. Like Steph Curry hasn't given you a reason to hate him. Right. You know? And I also think that, that for a basketball, like if you understand the game, you're watching the Warriors and you know inherently that the way they are winning games by basically making jump shots with a team that is generally speaking smaller than every other opponent they play against is inherently more difficult than it is to have Shaquille O'Neal and to throw the ball in the post to him and have nobody else in the league big enough or strong enough to stop him. Right. You know, the Lakers were compelling for those, you know, those years that they had Shaq and Kobe. But they were compelling only so far. Like, that was why, if you think back to 2001, when the Sixers stole that first game of the finals, it, that, that resonates to this day in Philadelphia. It's not just that, oh, you know, rare occasion, the Sixers or one of our four pro teams gets to the finals and has a chance to win a championship. It's that they actually stole a game from a team that had Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe right. Bryant. It had two pieces that you were completely unstoppable and could you could the Lakers could right. choose either one to right. beat you with. I've, all right, I've got it actually. Got it. Boom. When you watch when you watched Michael Jordan, your reaction was holy crap, they can't stop him. Like they, they, he just can't be stopped. 
when you watch Steph Curry, it's like they just can't stop him. Like they just like no matter what he does, they can't stop him. When you watch LeBron James, you think the same way, but you're like, of course they can't stop him. Like look at right, him. Right, exactly. Whereas yes. like, yes. whereas That's like, fair. whereas yeah. like Steph Curry, you're like, oh my gosh, they like look at this kid. Like they right. can't stop this kid. Whereas LeBron, it's like. Look well, at of course, look they at the, can't look stop at this him. guy. Yeah. They can't stop him. Like, yeah. Same thing with same thing with Shaq. You know, and Jordan had more of that. I right. mean, Jordan's came more from uh, came a lot more from just his like intensity and yeah. his killer attitude and his. I mean, he was never great. He was actually never great at any one thing. You know, like he wasn't right. a great three point shooter. He was. He didn't have a great field goal percent. He just like in terms of competitiveness and that dominance in situational ball. And he was a great defender too, which Steph Curry's not. Um, but. I think with Durant, which not to like, actually, I do kind of want to like just poke you a little bit here, but like what's Durant, <laughs> like I never watched Kevin Durant and be like, man, you can't stop that guy. Oh, I have. Oh, I have. Why doesn't he want to, why doesn't he want anything? Because the rest of his team isn't good enough that he can't win a championship. He had James Atlanta. Harden and Russell Westbrook on his team one year. And that was as close as they came. I love, I wish you could see John's face. Right <laughs> Let's talk about this more. Let's talk about Kevin Durant's weaknesses. Let's talk about. I love um, Kevin Durant. Overrated Washington, D.C. athletes. <laughs> All of them. Every single one. Uh, uh, the, the, you mentioned something about the I basketball. Think, I, I think we're talking, there are two different ways to talk about My point athlete, is, like a Curry yeah. or a Jordan. You talk about them as a basketball player or a football player or an athlete, and you talk about them as a figure within the culture. Yes. I think Curry has reached the point now where he is a figure within the culture, and there's something at play that, there's always something at play that gets beyond just He's really good at his sport the way Kevin Durant might be. Kevin Durant isn't a touchstone of the culture the way Steph Curry has become the way Michael Jordan was. And frankly, like we're going to know we're going to be able to prove this definitively within five years because all we will have to do is count the number of rap song lyrics referring to each player. And definitively, I, I will say that Steph Curry will be shown to be the the cultural icon that Michael Jordan was. I, I, that may well be fair, but you, you, in terms of how he became a Plus, culture, like Durant doesn't rhyme with anything. I mean, what the heck? It's like orange. How he became a cultural icon, I think, plays one of the ways that it, it happened is to something that you said earlier about the basketball purists loving him. Mm-hmm. That the folks who sort of set the tone within the basketball community loved him, and they loved the fact that here's finally a team that is not winning by dunking the ball ever on everybody, and that's all they ever do. And then they start winning, and it snowballs, and it all starts coming. Disagree? No, disagree. No, disagree. Because they made this very same you argument about like the San Antonio. You sound like Spurs. someone who's desperately, desperately trying to include Kevin Durant in the transcendent. All those things, basketball purists have been lauding the San Antonio Spurs for close to right. twenty years. The Spurs have never caught on culturally in the way because they have no personality and they play in a tiny market. The, the Warriors play in San Francisco, which is not a humongous market. It's a big market, but it's not humongous. It's not New York, Chicago, L.A., Philadelphia. It's Boston. on the West Coast. I, I, I think it would be fascinating if this Warriors team played on the East Coast because I think that there is a certain allure almost about the inaccessibility of them for a lot of people over here. Nah, I think you're, I think you're getting a little grad school on us there, buddy. I disagree. I I think that's digging a little deep. I think that, well, I'll say this. Like, if they were the Knicks, you, there would just be people that naturally hate them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it would be like the Cowboys. I'll say, and I'll say this. If they were the Knicks, having done what they did last year, you know, winning the championship, kind of cruising in the way that they did to the championship, you know, having a couple series where you're down two games to one and you have to respond, and then they just they turn it on and mow over the Grizzlies and mow over the Cavaliers. And if they were doing what they, it would be the biggest story Absolutely. In sports. I mean, because it's New York. Because they Trust haven't won a championship in heaven knows how long. Well, mostly because in New York, A, media capital of the world, and B, the Knicks are the number two team yes. in the in the New York region to the Yankees. They they really are. They, they outstrip the Giants. They outstrip the Mets. Basketball is, is part of the DNA up yes. there in a way that, that football really isn't. Big difference Agreed. in Philadelphia. Um, but if, the, if this were—I mean, think about how big Jeremy Lin was for a week— Yes. Doing what he did. And how big yeah. Porzingis is. Yeah. Yeah, but no, like, Lynn's, actually, it's like, actually, Lynn's like a very good, like, Lynn's a great example. Like, like Curry's, like, Lynn's sanity was, that was ridiculous. Like, there was, like, that was a phenomenon, but it just, he wasn't good enough to make it last. Whereas, like, right. Curry is, right. like, Lynn's sanity, and it, and it all comes down to, like, oh, look at this, like, 
Asian kid who looks like me, like right. doing this these things to these guys. And it's like same thing with Steph Curry. Like that's part no, of the would, allure. Steph of Curry in New York would be Lynn Sanity times a thousand. It's interesting that you mentioned. We've kept bringing up the Knicks as would everybody hate them. The team that I think they would really be hated if they were is the Celtics. Yeah, I don't. I don't see. I don't care about basketball. I don't care about the NBA enough to hate anybody. I want to say this. This is very important. Do you know what the best basketball player song references rap song of all time it is my man jadakiss i got more bucks because like sam i could sell <laughs> like <laughs> steph curry is gonna have stuff this is the only reason you wanted to talk about sam about steph Yo, curry was to get to that we gonna make this we gonna make t- this I, we may we have to end the this. show on that i I, th- I we can't t- how can you top that but what rhymes with durant seriously current current I, I could come i'm gonna eat a current if I have more time than we had left on this show, I could. That's, How do you, that's your homework assignment for next week yeah, is to right, come exactly. up with a word that rhymes with Durant. Cur- current. Like, what, what's a date in a current? C-U-R-R-A-N-T. Isn't that? Know. Is it? I don't know. Hartford Current? Current. Yo. I, I could rhyme think with Durant. KD if I wanted to, which is what his shoe says, right? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I just didn't know that you had such a... Uh, I didn't know you were such a little you're, you're, yeah, you, soft, little, 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 like, little defensive like about way, Kevin Durant. I like the way I think he's a really great player. And you I think, think he's he, a really great player because you're from Washington D.C. No. and he's from Washington he, D.C. and you're standing up for your own. He's not from Washington, don't apologize D.C., for it. There were plenty right. of Sixers fans who were trying to butt in on the conversation about him coming here as the marquee free agent when the time comes. Do you write letters to Kevin Durant? No, like he's your father. No. Do you like candles do you? for Kevin Durant? No, I do. Do you picture yourself holding hands with him in a meadow? No. All right. How about Alex Ovechkin? Dude has disappointed me so many times <laughs> in my life. It's not even close. No. All right. Well, we're going to, uh, before Jonathan uh, goes down to HR and has uh, us fired, files, <laughs> files a complaint against us and signs up for therapy in the same session, let's say goodbye. Um, I'm going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to see Mike Sealski watching Steph Curry. At, uh, I will say this: I did the one Sixers game I went to last year was Kevin Durant, and he just kind of like sat there in the wing, like watching Russell Westbrook drop fifty points on <laughs> Michael Carter Williams with a smirk on his face, like he was moving seventy. Wait a minute, you mean Michael Carter Williams, the greatest point guard in the history of point guards, allowed yeah, Russell okay. Westbrook yes to score all those points? Yes, Brett Brown mm. loves him. Yeah, Brett Brown loves him. Smith would have stopped that, <laughs> uh, but. No, anyway, so I'm going to go see Steph Curry on Saturday night, and I'm really excited about that. Me too. I, I was going to say that I... I'm I w- excited about seeing Steph Curry. I would not go... will be there. Put it this way. I would not go to see Kevin Durant on a Saturday. All right. That's my day off. Yo. That's fine. All right. All right. I'm going to go... See you next I'm, week. I'm, yeah. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>